0: Billy Meyer welcome to the podcast man I appreciate you calling in
1: oh thanks Pace I appreciate you having me on
0: well man uh, it's been
1: a long time coming we've been talking about it for a while
0: I know I'm the worst my schedule gets kind of bad and then anyways so that's kind of what's been nice about these has been able to get a guy on the phone and then just kind of dive into some stuff which obviously you got you got some big big things happen. So we've got the, the platinum metal rope horse fraternity. Um, first of all, man, I, where does this idea come from? And can you give me a little bit of a background too, with like your guys' breeding program and, and kind of how this, this comes along? Uh, so like,
1: basically, you know, I've been in the horse industry my whole life, like literally my whole life. And have roped my whole life. So I've always had a love for roping and rope horses. Like, before there was any value in rope horses, like, I always kind of like breeding rope horses for myself. But, you know, like, with the uh, American Rope Horse fraternity blowing up and seeing, kind of seeing, like, these trainers and competitors have a different area to go with their rope horses and be able to, like, bring those rope horses up in a, very controlled environment. Like, I don't know, I just have a huge passion for that. And I kind of love seeing what's happening right now, if that makes sense. And the way the platinum medal came about was, you know, I'd seen how many horses Jay was getting in his fraternity. And you just have this, you know, 300 head plethora of animals on both sides. And I like there was 20 horses kind of getting attention. But those horses that kind of fell out of the short rounds, I felt like also deserved attention because if you're in a top 50 out of 300 horses, that's still a pretty amazing thing. So I kind of just came up with an idea to division it up and give the, the horses that were making that top 50 a little bit more attention, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so will you explain the incentives and kind of the structure of the fraternity a little bit?
1: Uh, So I just did a divisional fraternity, which is, it's going to be three D's and it doesn't split like a barrel race would. It's just simply first through 15th, 16th through 30th, 31st through 45th. So we take 45 horses back heading and healing. And I call it a three division fraternity because it's structured in three different short rounds. But realistically, it's just a 45 deep short round ran in three different short rounds. It's kind of like the george Strait mixed with uh the bfa if that makes sense
0: yeah and and it does because the one challenge with fraternities right that it we've got the skill level of some of these riders is so far ahead of everyone else and it just seems like it's a right. little bit hard to get into and and so when you get that going it's like well how can we give these guys that maybe rope well but need to be able to get their feet wet and have a have a chance, really, to, to just start learning. Well, hey, what are the judges looking for? What is the experience like? And uh, and so that's kind of essentially what we're you know what you're trying to do with this, correct?
1: Well, actually, my biggest uh, inspiration for it was like the trainers. Like, there's there's a million and a half great rope horse trainers out there that I didn't see getting the attention of the fraternities because uh, it was mostly you know the top end professional guys. Well, I see some of the you know best rope horse trainers are sevens, sixes, you know eights and they do their thing but i'm not seeing them get any attention at these rope horse attorneys and they are literally the ones kind of paving the way training these horses for this deal so i kind of wanted to open it up spread it all out so these trainers kind of started to get a little bit more attention if that makes sense because i feel like they're you know yeah, they're absolutely. driving this industry at the moment
0: Right. 100%. Um, okay. So with the, um, with the fraternity portion of this, uh, how did you try to, first of all, how are you going to set up? Is it judge? Is it scored like time? And what, what's the age group look like with it as well?
1: So it's a six and under base fraternity. It's just one giant like payout. And then I have a four, three and four year old side pot, and a metal program side pot which is an incentive that I have with my fraternity and uh, what was the other side pot we have oh a royal crown side pot which also has 5,000 added so you literally just run three steers if you have a four-year-old that's royal crown eligible you're eligible for three payouts
0: awesome and Does that then make what sense? about the, the judging yeah yeah um, no that makes perfect oh sense. we're doing it and uh, judge So we're
1: we're actually doing a four-judge system, and we drop the high and low and average the scores with the time. So I think we're the first one so to try three, that at this point. Four judges.
0: Okay. So we so have, four have four judges. Watching or?
1: Yep, four people watching, and then we drop the high and low score. So okay. we're and just kind of trying to does like the timer, like the Is the timer on one it. of the judges? Yep. So four actual human judges, and the the uh, times the fifth judge.
0: I like that. And, and just trying to talk yep. about like getting the bias out of it. That's that's the hardest thing, right? I I get it with like the fraternities when you sit there and watch a lot of horses go and kind of how that works. And it's just sometimes it's just anytime you get judged events, it can be controversial. Monotonous. But it, it is yes, yes. It's a good way to
1: put it. Yep. You get four judges in there and you can drop the high and low, you kind of take the bias out of it because there's bound to be one or two judges that are here, there, and everywhere. And they're going to be all over the board. Everybody's going to be looking for something different in a rope horse. And when you add more people, drop the high and low, and then add the time into the mix, it kind of makes it completely non-biased, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that happens too, just from like our standpoint, you know, when we're videoing these um, it seems like certain angles might show things off well, or make something that was look worse than maybe it is from a different angle. And so I, I think that's something that gets missed a little bit too, is just understanding like, hey, the the, the more eyes on it from different angles really does help provide um, just more context for what went into the run, I think.
1: Absolutely. And like, I mean, you guys were at Royal Crown last week and I went up there and I helped scribe. So I got to sit in the judge's booth and there was uh, X Factor videos playing in the judge's booth. So I was with Justin Johnson and like there was things that we didn't even see that happened in the run. We'd go back and watch the video and completely different angles from where we're sitting in the judges stand and yeah yeah there's three people watching that rope in the whole time but it's three people seeing three different angles it's so hard
0: so like that's that. what that's kind of uh, the hard
1: part about judging
0: oh it's rough what about like with the Royal Crown? The one thing that i really enjoyed that they did was the, like the degree of difficulty on the steer. I just, oh, like, man. so I, I know that that's really hard to have a really even set of steers, but um, is that something you guys are going to do as well? Add that in or what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, we're going to actually use the exact same scoring system that Royal Crown uses. So we're going to, we're going to judge on the exact same points they and we'll have the three points degree of difficulty if, you know, the steer peels left or peels right. That was kind of what I was seeing at Royal Crown was, you know, those steers that would just run right to the right fence. Like obviously a heel horse that can, that's young and can track in on that. Like you get a couple points degree of difficulty on that. <laughs> and those ones that would peel yeah. left, you know, you are seeing people ask for reruns, but man, like if you had horses that could, maneuver around that, you were scoring higher than people would have with a regular steer, if that made sense. Absolutely. And that's kind of like, what, what's amazing about young horses is, I mean, we're still dealing with six-year-old and younger horses, and you're going to see some amazing animals do some amazing maneuvers when it's all said and done.
0: Right. What about this? You know, the 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 idea behind the, the fraternities, right, is to essentially create a structure where lower numbered ropers can kind of go on with them. And like, just guys that are wanting to be more of your weekend jackpot guys. So, over the handful of years, what do you think the fraternities have, have done for that? And then also the rope horse market.
1: I mean, I'd say, like, and I will give Jay Wadham so much credit on this, but. In the last 10 years, you've seen the price of the rope horse go up a ton. But you've also seen the quality of the rope horse go up a ton. And with the quality of the rope horse, you see the quality of roper go up because I think it was something that, you know, a lot of team ropers were missing out on 10 years ago was the fact that if you have a better horse, it makes you rope better. And now you're in a position where you're seeing all these horses come up from the fraternity scene you know, you saw Logan Medlin riding one at the finals, like they're starting to filter into the regular market. And when you have, you know, 10 rope horse fraternities a year, if you're paying $30,000 for a prospect, you have three years to make that investment back out of 10 fraternities a year. So I think the price is just kind of getting subjective to what you can You know, it's a, it's a good investment now. So that's what it's, I feel like that's what it's the fraternity world's doing for the rope horse market is providing a controlled environment to train these horses. And also, you know, for people that want to pay prime, prime money for a really good horse, it's offering an opportunity to make your investment back in three years and then be able to move that horse into the jackpot or rodeo world afterwards. Depending you know on how the horse is,
0: well, and I think that's that's the other thing is the the proof gets put in the pudding is that is that a real phrase if I'm saying that correctly, but like I know like head horses, right? if they've gone to these fraternities for a handful of years and they can still sit there and score and run to the cow and handle that they're they are there already. you know what I mean like i I was around ran a little bit for. I mean, I grew up with him, but as far as like just to see where his program's at and some of these horses that they can put into these situations, I think they can just move right on with it. Like, but it also does the other on the other end of it. It kind of filters out like some of these horses cannot handle it, and you know what I mean. It does really separate uh, between where like a seasoned six-year-old would be, you know, going to maybe a seven-seven-year-old year, year. and I think it does provide a, a. a a lot of knowledge for someone like hey this horse is ready or he's still not ready or maybe not gonna cut it and and i think that's what's so unique right is they they get to see a few years of competition on this horse before they buy him, and then they know like this is what we got this horse has been put in tough situations and can or cannot handle it so yeah they get i I think that's like they get
1: to prove the horse yeah the horse gets to prove themselves And it's something we haven't really seen. And team ropers never paid attention to horses unless it was their own up until Jay decided to, you know, do with the fraternities. And now with the amount of them that there are, like you, you're offering not only a controlled environment to train those horses in and season them in, like you get to also, like you said, track them their whole entire fraternity career and then make a very educated decision on what you're buying as a finished product. And then, So that, I think that helps the market more than anything is, you know, it's not, it's not, you're just buying a gamble anymore. You are buying a, you know,
0: you're buying stats. Yeah. I I think the other thing too, is it's going to help highlight like programs, like for example, I mean, you get, you guys with Frenchman's guy, right? This, what he was able to do, I'm going to go like specifically, like We'll leave barrel racing out of it, but phenomenal results with barrel racing horses. But for us, you know, we have we have a few like the the head horse that I've rode. I won the circuit finals on him when he was six years old, and I've rode him for the last five years. Is a grandson of Frenchman's guy, and we've we've bred and raised a few of them. And I know the feel of those horses. And there's just certain aspects that you can get into programs that like have feel for heading or might have, you know, heel horse, like kind of what you're looking for in a heel horse. And so I think this is the next, this is the thing that's tying it all together, right? Is you're getting these head horses that you can go compete on because they, you know, like, Hey, they're going to score. They're going to do this. They're going to run like this. And, um, this is, this is kind of a, a way to train them with a lot of like similarities. I know horses are all different, but it seems like, Hey, when we find programs that have a you know they've got great horses that they're raising. It looks like it gets put together where you can really go on. At least with us, I know that's I've had lots of success with the Frenchman guys. You know I've I've got like four or five of them now. Um, you know that we right. race that I ride, and it's it's like, hey, I know what I got. They're all they're real similar, and so it's like I think those things kind of showing through at a at a young age, and then translate on. And it also, I think helps filter out maybe some of the studs or the the mares that might not be working for specific, you know, like head horse or hit, whatever it is too. Absolutely. And the coolest
1: thing about that too is like, like, you know, you watch a million and a half different team ropers, right? Everybody has a different style. And with horses, like, I think really what the fraternity thing is gonna do is be, is gonna be able to place horses with the right people. So, you know, we're talking about different styles of rope and We're talking about different styles of horses, uh, you know, you like the Frenchman's guys, the next person might like the streak of flings. It just depends on, and it's the same in the barrel world, the same in cutting world, you know, different strokes for different folks when it's all said and done. And that's kind of what's cool about it though, is like with the fraternity thing, you have three years to track these horses you know, what you like, you can go try them, you can watch them their whole fraternity career and see if that's something that's going to fit you in the long run. And it might be a Frenchman's guy, it might be a streak of fling, it might be a one fine vintage, might be a show me the buckles. But that's what's cool about it is like, it doesn't have to be a one size fits all situation. Like we're in this golden era of team roping where you have this plethora of people that are breeding horses for this. And there's something for everybody.
0: And that's what i think is the coolest about it right so what you know give me a little bit of a background with your guys' breeding program because i, I think this is the other thing that's going to be unique for uh, the barrel racers are pretty far down the road with this they have like they are i, I mean i heard this and i think it's a, a great way to put it but they have bred certain things out of barrel racing that they do not like like You're not seeing as many horses that are like real hot and get out of control. And it just seems like they are getting it really refined down with the barrel racing on how they run, what they look like. Right. And uh, and I think this is we're we're getting there with the team roping, but it seems like it's probably at the beginning stages of it. Or, you know, what do you think as far as that goes, as far as like for a breeding program, like what you guys have and where you're going to try to take it for specifically team roping?
1: You know, we're pretty unique because uh, we're so in-house. You know, it's me, my brother, my dad. And Brandon starts all the colts, I breed them, and dad kind of puts the handles on them. So we we work with those babies from, you know, as soon as we wean them. And we have had, you know, we've been blessed to be able to know what those colts' mentalities are from day one. So we've always kind of we've kind of always been able to like place them in like a barrel category or rope category based on how we work with them. But the thing I'm seeing, you know, happen in the rope horse deal is I'm seeing a lot more of those programs pop up. Like Trevor and miles now they're, they're, uh, they're, they have a full program. They're raising them. Daisy halter breaks them miles breaks them. And then Trevor and miles rope on them. Uh, that's the most, you know, legitimate way you can actually do the thing because you're you're putting all the work in yourself so you know the horses and when you're doing that you can eliminate those things that you're talking about that you don't necessarily care for and that was how we used to do it It was like if we had a mare we would cross around frenchman's guy first right If Frenchman's guy didn't work, we'd move to one of our other studs. If she didn't work with anything, she went down the road. And it wasn't that she was a bad mare. It was that she didn't work with our program. So I think what you're going to see a lot more of in the years to come is a lot more programs popping up where they work through that stuff and kind of eliminate the good and bad. Or keep the good, eliminate the bad. What they consider to be bad. And that's the beauty of raising horses is, like, there's no good or bad. It's just personal preference in the long run.
0: Yeah, it's what fits you and what you're wanting to go with them. And uh, so mm-hmm. speaking of that, let's, let's talk head horses. Uh, <coughs> obviously, I'm a big Frenchman's Guy fan and, and what those horses feel like. So to me, <coughs> l- if you're crossing, like, with what you guys got now in your program – what are some of your favorite head horse bloodlines and what are you looking for them to kind of feel? And you you know what I mean? If you're going to start say, Hey, I'm looking for head horses out of your guys' program. What give me some examples of what you're looking for and what you want to do with that.
1: If like, so I'm not a header, so I can't really, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, be super tight on this deal. But if I'm looking for any rope horse, I'm looking for size, build, Structure and confirmation. So, like, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a breed. It's more of a build, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So, can I, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but this is what I feel and see with Frenchman's guys. The shoulder on those horses are just a little different. It seems like they're really fast footed, but their feet stay low to the ground. Like, you never feel like you elevate when you run. And, and they're, aren't I they aren't they just ungodly like, fast for no reason? Yeah, like, but it doesn't feel fast. It's the weirdest, no. it's the weirdest deal. It's like, I can always throw my rope, you know what I mean? Like on the ones that I like, it just seems like they can match the speed of a steer so easy. And that's what essentially to me makes a great rope horse, is if I can match the speed of the steer when I want to throw my rope, heading or healing. then it basically makes it feel like I'm on the ground, right? So that's, to me, like, right. that's the feel that I like. Um, and that's the feel that I got out of, well, that I've had now multiple times out of horses. But that's kind of what our breeding program ended up being was, you know, we we ended up with, a, you know, an own son of Frenchman's guy and bred him to a few mares that we have all been riding. And they all ended up just being our family's horses. So that's kind of the experience. But that was the the base of it as I just decided, Hey, the shoulder on this horse has to be what one of the things It just, they're so quick footed. I mean, there's a lot of other components, but that's, I don't know. It just seems like they never come off the ground. They catch I think, up fast, I think the but best, I, I'm not running out of control.
1: I think the best thing about them is like they're quick footed, but they have a, they, they have a calm mind. And so that's you know even bulldoggers really like them because they stay good in the box like tyler Wagaspec's good yellow is a frenchman's guy i don't know if you knew that or not i did not that's pretty sweet yeah so they've actually kind of and matt reeves that horse that was Bulldog and horse of the year back in the day that was also a frenchman's guy but so somehow this you know the the barrel bloodlines of the good-mindedness that are quick-footed like have kind of Evolved into the bulldogging area because they score good and they break fast, and th- I think that's kind of a pretty good component of why they're such great head horses. If that makes sense, those suckers break f- so fast, and they say so level, and they're so quick-footed, like you said, like they can just snap around and face. Right. And you know. So. I... Go, go ahead. That was never something that we like really. Uh, aspired to raise was head horses. My dad obviously had steers, and he's one of the best head horse trainers I know. So when he would find one that really like fit what he wanted, he just keep them. Like he put them in the sale, but he wouldn't sell them. Like it was always kind of funny because we would joke about it. it was like, "Oh, he's never gonna sell that one." <laughs> and we still yeah. got a he still got a I pile could... of them, like five of them. But uh, that was hit like. I don't know. My dad is a genius when it comes down to that, and especially on the head horse side. Like, and I've studied him because I always just kind of want to want to know what he looks for in a rope horse because he's always picked out the best ones. If that makes sense, right? And so what
0: did what is it? What did you come up with? What did you? What does your dad say about that? Or what did you? You know, you your read on that. What comes? What comes to mind as far as like, hey, what is he looking for that makes these high-end horses?
1: I mean, he's always looking for like, you know, about a 15-1 to 15-2 head horse that's thick as hell. And they were always just quick-footed. They were just his pick. Like, you can, there was never a specific breed when it came down to it. It was like, sometimes it was hot colors. Sometimes it was Frenchman's guy. He would just pick his one, and that was the one. And I would just kind of pay attention to how he picked them, if that made sense. I got my eye from studying my dad when it was all said and done. Because that guy has the best eye for a horse I've ever met in my entire life. And what what he would look for, it seemed like, was a, you know, a good round, but a hawk that was a little bit bent so they could get underneath themselves, a really good shoulder like you were talking about earlier, and just good bone, like, We, we are very much so strive for bone structure because we want longevity out of our horses. We don't want, you know, crippled seven-year-olds. And that was what dad would always look for. And he just, I don't know. You need to come to the house sometime, Pace, because like, if you go down to Bill's head horse pen, like there's probably five of them down there and they are all just like, you know, they make your mouth water. I'm going to hold you to that
0: for sure. Um, well, oh, let, let's talk that. about you guys. I'd, I'd love this. Um, let's, let's talk about the program a little bit more. So where are you guys located? And then as far as like right now, what, what studs do you have around and kind of how many mares and what, you know, what does it like the day in and day out kind of the operation and where do you see it going?
1: Um, like, so we're actually kind of slimming down a little bit. We're, we're down to like 50, I think 56 mares now. And we have, uh, Mr. Sassy Frenchman. I'm a special kind of guy and uh lucky wonder horse. So we only have three studs now up until this year. We had five studs and we were kind of, you know, busting ass here, there, and everywhere. But we're just, you know, we, be- we very much so believe in those two junior stallions and they're, they're kind of starting to hit. The hard part about, you know, campaigning stallions is you literally do have to sit on them for about, you know, 10 years before you see anything out of it. And we're just now kind of starting to see that, you know, we're really trying to promote the versatility side of our program at this point because we've always raised just versatile horses. And we're very, we're very thankful that this rope that the rope horse thing is coming along because it gives us an avenue to go with them that, that we really truly care about. And we're still going to stay in the barrel industry. Like we still have, you know, that's where our foundation is, but we're also going to start offering some of our horses in the rope horse market. And we've never done that before because, you know, like same as the cutters, same as the rainers, like the market was in the industry they were in. But we are very much so f- more focused on starting to, you know, promote in the rope horse industry at this point. And we, we actually crossed a bunch of our Frenchman's guy mares this year on uh, cow horse studs. So we bred uh, and, uh, one mare to Drigger's stud, Metallic Payday, uh, Kirk Johnston, he's uh, this guy in Texas. We bred a couple mares to his studs, Rays to Shine, and Metallic. Chrome cat, we've read America to raise pep. We're just and we've read a to hashtags. We're just kinda we're melding the cow into our program, which is like me and my dad's favorite thing in the world. So we're so thankful that this is a thing. Because <laughs> that's always been something we've yeah. done for ourselves. We've always bred rope horses for ourselves. There was no market for it, but we what we just wanted good rope horses. <laughs>
0: Well, and really, what what's like, going to make that cool is, correct me if I'm wrong, but if like let's just say we're when you add the cow, if they get to the fifteen one or two, obviously they're going to be barrel horse, head horse, uh, but if they end up yep. staying a little bit on the smaller end, you know the the ro- the heel horse, the, the calf horses, even head horses too. But I think it's essentially you guys have been able to. When that foundation of the foot speed is there, it's just you can do any rodeo event on these horses. There's just nothing is off. Yeah, so I always make the joke. I think to have.
1: I I always make the joke. I think that the Frenchmans guys have actually been in every event at the finals, probably including the bucking pen. We just don't know about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's awesome.
1: So, yeah. yeah. So I actually was at the Extreme Bronx and Rapid last night, and I was talking to um, Chad Birch, and we were like, we were "Like we should cross up what that Frenchman's guy clone on a couple of those bucking horses and see what happens." <laughs> man, they'd be athletes, that's for sure. Oh, they'd be way too, like that. Me and Chad got talking about it. I think they might have been a little. They might be a little too quick footed. I don't think they'd score so good. Cause they'd just be ducking and diving all over the place.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it'd be funny. funny. How that'd be fun to watch, though. Yeah, I bet some guys get bucked off. Oh yeah. So um, I don't well, know. I mean, so this is it's all fun. I mean, well, this is Go kind ahead. of what's neat about this, right? Obviously, your charity, but we hadn't really dove into the horse sale. So, rope horse for charity and horse sale that that you've got so what's the vision for the horse sale side of this so the vision like
1: long term is to actually make it just a straight prospect sale so i would like to eventually be a two three and four year old sale this first year you know everything kind of came about really fast so a lot of people weren't really prepared for that so we took six-year-olds and under because that's the fraternity age but that is my vision for the sale in the future, is to be a prospect sale. I want I want our sale to be the sale that people come to to buy the horses to take to the fraternities eventually.
0: Well, and I think especially as you guys start adding cow to it, uh, you know, to your program more and more, it just adds a, I mean, where you guys have such a proven program, too, that there's, gonna be probably some nice horses and then the other thing about it is kind of take me through like the the type of horse that you're trying to to have at this sale and kind of the goal for that because it seems like it's a a pretty good uh the the people that are in it have really good reputations and pretty high-end I would say trainers and and breeders correct
1: yeah like my my goal with it was to offer quality so like I don't want to, I don't want to be just an average horse sale. I want to be the sale that gives the buyers the confidence that they're coming to my sale and getting a quality product. Like, I don't want, you know, crippled horses, none of that. Like, I just want people to be able to have, you know, confidence that they're coming to my sale and they're going to get something they can go on with. And that's, that's why I I pulled the people in. I pulled in. I want to offer the best of the best when it's all said and done. So I went to the best trainers, the best breeders, the best everything. And that's what the core of my sale was.
0: I think the vision for that's pretty impressive, you know, and as, like you said, there's what, there's going to be about 10 fraternity events per year. So there's this, this whole industry starting to to flow together for that six and under paternity age horse. It seems like now the breeders are making more money. The, the trainers are able to make money. Um, the owners now, it seemed like they have a, a pretty good avenue to, to make money and, and have something. And then at the end of it too, that, that six-year-old horse, it seems like a lot of those can fit into jackpot team ropers, you know, from, from lower number guys to, to the higher end guys, you know, that, that still compete probably from the 14 down. Right. And like, I, you know, we're
1: in this new era of data, right. But data has always driven every horse industry, like earnings. That's what it is. So you, with the fraternity thing and the quality of horses you're seeing now, you're actually, as a buyer, you're in the most confident place you can be. You can go back if you do your homework, you can go back, see exactly what that horse did, his four to six-year-old year, see how that horse fits you. You can try him, you can talk to the trainer. You have a database to go back to. And you've never seen that in team roping world before. It was always just a Facebook post and or you know, a person's word. Now you have data to back it up. And that's yeah, and... that's what that's what brings bio confidence. Well, um... Buyer confidence is what drives the horse industry.
0: Absolutely. The other thing, too, like there's the there's this, the tracking on the earnings. Um, I know like us, we archive all the footage from the fraternity. So like all the Royal Crown footage, you know, you can go back yep. and watch it. So, for example, if you wanted to watch that horse from a year or two ago, that will be available. Um, then yep. the, the live stream side of it. So that's the other thing, too. You guys are live streaming the full event, right? Where, where do you watch?
1: Uh, Roping.com for the full event.
0: Okay. Shout out to Roping.com. I think we're also going to have it on our Facebook. Okay, perfect. And then um, what about the horse sale side of it? How there's, there's gonna be two aspects like where to watch, but also if someone can't be there, how do they bid? How is the uh, sale going to work for the, for the buyers that, you know, that might not be there? So we all have two absentee bidder options, which is
1: phone bidding. And then Equine Exchange is also offering online bidding. So as far as it goes, if you can't be there, you have plenty options. And the only thing we need on those is like just a letter of credit and what horses you're interested in. And we'll call you and we'll take care
0: of it. Perfect. And then um, where are we going to find you? What's kind of the best way to to follow along, see catalogs, all all of that?
1: So we actually have an online catalog at PlatinumMetalFaternity.com. And you can go to our Facebook and that just takes you right to it. And then we have a actual physical catalog, which we're a little past, you know, the request date on that. But we'll have some at the sale. We've sent all the requests out at this point. And yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: How much work has this been for you to put all this together? Has this been pretty stressful or I don't, what? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, September 5th, you'll be my pretty poor, happy. My, right? poor, <laughs> my poor
1: media guy, Lane Tiltrum. And then I have uh, Zian Gallagher. She's my office person. Like my, when I came up with this, me and Tate Kirkenslager came up with this idea. We kind of talked about it. We kind of, like, looked at, like, where the holes were and the stuff and, like, how to kind of keep it going. And I called Zian, who is our, she's actually our office person. And she, she's, like, the she's behind the ruby and pink. Like, she's the production person there. She's a genius when it's all said and done. And I'm, like, I want to do this thing. So I kind of tell her all about it. And she's, like, I'm in. When we went down this road, it was supposed to just be kind of, like, a fun little roping. Like, have one roping to support the sale. And it just kind of blew up. So it has been more or less a year of us trying to scramble to figure out how to keep up with the growth of this deal. But it's been a blast. I'm not even going to beat around the bush. Yeah. It's been a
0: blast, but it's also been a lot of work. <laughs> well, isn't this one of the most important things? And this is honestly like why I love to get people on the podcast that are they're, they're swinging the bat. You know what I mean? You get in the batter's box and try to hit homers. I really enjoy that. And especially, you know, in this, this part of it, because I've been around the roping production side of it growing up, but yep. I kind of understand the promotion. And it's like, dude, it's, this is a lot of work and it's a, this is a huge project for you to take on. And I'm sure it's been stressful, but I, at the end of the day man I really enjoy someone that will that will do that and just just have the stones to put it out there like that. So I'm I'm pretty proud and of you. Like, this is awesome.
1: You have no idea like I remember exactly I was sitting on my porch in Oklahoma like I remember sitting there looking at my phone with I had the lazy number dialed up and I'm like do I do this? Do I do it? And it was the most like I've given, I've told a lot of people this, but it was like the scariest call I ever made in my life to commit to that. And also to even call them. Cause you know, like that's not a venue that they just say, yeah, you can have an event here. But right. I do, I remember exactly where I was sitting. I remember looking at my phone, just scrolling through Facebook, doom scrolling. And I'm like, am I going to make this call or not? And I called Jessica. We talked about it and she's like, yeah, let's do it. And then I was committed, but it was, yeah, it was scary to commit, but you know, you, you've been on the production side, Driggers, he's one of my favorites when it comes down to this, because he's almost done every aspect of the team roping industry. And when I, I, I came up with this idea and I went to the capitalists and took him the flyer and I'm like, check this out. And he goes, he goes, saddle up, bud. He's like, now you're a producer, but he said, "Like his he, I really respect him a lot because he's done everything, and that's one thing he always says. Like anybody in the team roping industry ha- should produce a roping just to understand how ridiculously tough it is."
0: Yes, I mean there's not a lot of winning at the end of the day when you're producing ropings. You know what I mean? There's a lot of no. things that can go wrong, and a lot of people that are going to be upset. I mean, just in general, team ropers they. They don't catch very well you know what i mean like there's a lot of missing so it's like right. how are we gonna make these people happy and then if anything goes wrong with score steers any of this stuff it's all you know it's a mess so there's a lot of things that can go wrong but and i, I think the best thing you I can do the, with that
1: is like do your best i mean and that's our goal is like we're going to put on the best production we possibly can if everybody isn't happy at the end of the day we know we did our best
0: I think the other thing to that too is just doing it and then you'll obviously i think some humility has to be in play and if there's stuff you need to change you change it but if the spirit and the structure is there it'll work and it'll hold up right so it's like hey how Agreed. can we keep evolving this thing make it better and that's that's a i think that's the winning mentality that, that people don't quite understand sometimes And that's something that I've really uh, tried
1: to do this year is like, I've tried to go to all the events and talk to the trainers, talk to the competitors, talk to the owners. Like I want to, I want to know what they want to see. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not about me in the end of the day. It's about putting on an event that the public enjoys. So, so why would I do it how I want to do it? I would rather do it how everybody, and I'm not trying trying to make everybody happy, but I want to, I want input from from the the people in the trenches, because they're the ones that are, are, you know, I mean, it's just like a, a survey, like a, any sort of business survey at the end of the day, like, you know, X factor might send out a survey. Like, how do you feel about ABC? And it's the same with the roping. Like, I want to hear what every competitor has to say. I want to hear about judging. I want to hear about cattle. I want to hear about ground. I would like to know how to make it better, if that makes sense. Exactly.
0: And well, not, I think that's and not a to winning, winning match.
1: Yeah, and not to outdo anybody because I really, the, what's going on in that fraternity world right now is amazing. There are so many different things happening, like American Rope Force fraternity paved the way. And then you have Royal Crown after that then there's Riata Buckle, then there's, you know, the RFA, there's the Texas Best. Uh, I saw that uh, Equine Sports Alliance just came out with a fraternity. How cool is that? And everything's different. And so you're literally putting a horse in a position where you have, you know, 10 options of different setups and formats to go to at the end of the day. Like there's no better way to season a horse when it's all said and done. We used to take, you know, yeah, a trailer there's... load of horses to the Buck and Duck and just go at it.
0: <laughs> and you that, might not, not get the them reality. seasoned like you, like, like you want at <laughs> the Buck and Duck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, no, the you Buck and Duck was like them, by, by fire. It might be the
1: wrong kind. <laughs> the Buck and Duck, the buck and duck yeah. was trial by fire all day long. Like, uh, I won't say names. We had a lot of fun at the Buck and Duck with very large trailer loads of horses, and a lot of those horses ended up being NFR horses at the end of the day. The the bay horse that Jonathan Torres rides, the Rockin' B, we used to call him the Rockin' B, I think he calls him Biggie. Oh man, that horse got a lot of trial by fire. (laughs) The buck and duck, both ends.
0: (sighs) That's crazy to think. And and for people that are listening that don't know what the buck and duck is, uh, they no longer do it, but it was a slide like on Wednesday night in stevenville texas and uh 35 it's, it's just interrupt buy back for half sometimes like it, it everyone would kind of show up i mean probably get a couple hundred teams and a lot of a lot of nfr guys would be there and it was very uh very i don't know probably the time you get to see the guys be relaxed roping and have fun with it but also in pretty tough robins so I don't know. That's that's pretty maybe crazy some the to think toughest, though, like where where it's
1: come from. Maybe some of the toughest ropens I've ever been to in my life. And yeah. so yeah, much. Like
0: fun. three fives might not win anything. So a handful of fives or four fives or whatever might not win something that day. I had that ringer number back then, so I, like and I'm still a six.
1: But that was always the funnest part about that was like my handicaps in those deals.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it
1: was like four second runs all night long, and it was ridiculous. Right. And it was usually like me, Dakota, Blaine, Vic, and I was the weakest link out of all of them. Like I was the I was the six. We just had fun. Oh, yeah. we had so much yeah. fun, Pace. <laughs> Thor Thor was Man, young back of... then. I don't
0: know if he was like seventeen, maybe. Yeah. I caught the tail end of it. Um, and it was still pretty wild. Um, there was a ride up bar oh, over there and it was, yep, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good time in a college town. So I didn't, I didn't probably mm-hmm. get the full experience like everyone, but I, I got to a few of them. So. You
1: probably got the back arena experience, right? With the ride up bar. I did. Yeah. Back arena. Yeah. 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 Those were actually, so the front arena was fun, but the back arena was way more fun when they moved it back there. And then they had the best part was they had the bucking, they're bucking bulls. Like we got to give them the full experience here. So it was a college town and they're bucking bulls in the main arena. And they also had that little weird. um, They had that weird uh, where the bull game where you'd go try to grab the money off the horns or whatever, like all the college kids would run in the arena. So you have team roping going on in one arena and then you have drunk college kids trying to take money off bulls horns in the other arena. (laughs) And that was and the but the days of thirty five dollar team ropings though, like that's gone. You can't season your horses there anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean that's what stock Missed. charges you're a run on the yep. you know at the at the ropings and uh, it's unfortunate, but it's also I, I think as things evolve and change and the the horses become better and that that kind of like I, I just want to hit on this one more time because there are a lot of faturities and. And I'm sure some stuff will maybe weed itself out that works or doesn't work. But I don't see the issue with lots of fraternities out there that helps trainers out there. There's more money to be won. Um, I think it just kind of builds out essentially like a a way to cash flow this entire industry from raising them to starting them to then showing then. The final product, like I, I just think it helps. Right. It, it all works together. Like this is uh, this is kind of neat, and then where you're fitting this in seems like it it should work. And I think it's a an awfully good chance to do something good for the rope
1: industry. I think the coolest thing about it. I think the coolest thing about it is like you know the team rope in- industry itself. Like that's already a house. Like it's built, and it's not a little house either. Like it's a mansion. So the only thing yeah. the fraternity industry is doing is slipping a foundation under the house when it's all said and done. And you kind of look at every other, you know, horse industry. So you say the barrels raining, cutting, like that's where all the horses get their stars in the fraternity world. And again, you can track them their whole life. Like nobody's reinventing the wheel here. Like this is where steam rovers are the last ones to the party when it's all said and done. And You know, you're seeing, uh, I think there's 10 fraternities now. Like, I would like to see 20. I want to see, you know, a full year's worth of events where trainers and, you know, jockeys can make a living, not rodeoing. And you see that in every other, like, you know, like, there's you look at, like, somebody like Jolene Montgomery, like, she's never made the finals. But you want to go look at somebody with a list of accolades, like, that. That lady is one of the best in the world. She's just, you know, she's a fraternity trainer. Like Cassie Mowery would be another good example. Like Cassie makes the finals off her fraternity horses. But she doesn't go to rodeos. And Jordan Briggs would be another good example. She doesn't go to rodeos until she knows she has one. She can go to, you know, 30 rodeos and make the finals on. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's such a cool thing because like, you're just going to see the level of horsemanship and roper grow over the next 10 years. And I think something that a lot of people haven't really taken into consideration is with, you know, going slow, starting these horses the right way. I was at Royal crown last week. I saw so many kids roping in the intermediate, like young kids. They're learning how to ride. They're learning how to show their horse. They're, It's going to grow the upper level of team roping like nobody's ever seen before. You're going to see more eights, nines and tens than anyone has ever seen. And that's something special because that's one of those deals. It's like, okay, you had to work your butt off to get to that level. And now you're going to start these kids at a young age learning horsemanship, you know, roping everything correct and it's just going to grow that upper level of team roping. I feel, I feel anyways, I'm not saying that's correct, but that's just my, my overall outlook on it.
0: Oh, I, I 100% agree with you. And then I think the other thing that's going to happen too, that we'll start realizing is like, uh, just a conversation I had with Andy Holcomb showing his four year old head horses. He's like, man, I felt like I was a little bit off with this and he started making a little bit of adjustments, uh, you know, because for the next fraternity on how he was riding them, what he was doing with them and they're they're gonna show better and they're gonna be better and then he's just gonna be able to refine his program and get better and better at it. And obviously Andy's a great trainer, but what happens when we get Cole Davison and guys that have kind of stepped back from rodeoing and, and that's what they're doing and just sit there and grinding on it and training horses and getting better at it. Like they want they're gonna be refining it and now of a sudden all of a sudden instead of a handful of guys doing this for a living, you're gonna have a huge amount of guys that can train horses and that are getting to where they, they know some stuff just by trial and you know, just by putting them in the fire and trying it out. But I think it's gonna advance the the rope horses way faster than we've ever seen before. And I think that's oh I a really like thing.
1: And that's, I feel like we're already seeing it. And I think that's, what's awesome is like, so, you know, I mean, prime example is Logan Medlin's horse that he's been riding came up through the fraternities. I think you're going to see a lot more of that happen because the, you know, the guys that do this for a living can actually take a look back at that horse's whole career history from its four-year-old year to its six-year-old year and make an educated decision on what they're buying and what that fits them in the long run. And just like you were saying with Andy, like refining this, that, like this isn't, this isn't like 10 years ago when it was like, we go buy a cutter reject and start healing on it. And it fits somebody here, there, everywhere. This is now like, we are training these horses to be rope horses. We are making that their only job. And we are offering a product at the end of the day after their fraternity season that is refined proven. And, you know, I mean, probably the best trained animal that we've seen in a long time. And you're seeing it now. And that's what, you know, the American rope horse fraternity has done for the rope horse industry. When it's all said and done, you're seeing those horses start to make their way into the normal days. Like, so it's not even just jack, but jackpot, like rodeo, all, it, you know, all it's really doing is giving the average team roper an educated decision on what they're buying at the end of the day.
0: Yes. And, and then it's, a win-win it's situation, backed up. So. Yeah, I think it's backed up too with a little more stable horse market where the, the pain that I mean, everything's going to be subjective, but you can afford to probably pay more for a horse and then As they get older to the the 10, 12, 14 years old, they're still worth quite a bit because they, you know, as as long as they're sound and can continue to perform, they're worth quite a bit if the World Series opens and, you know, the other jackpots that don't pay so well.
1: And you got to look at it like this. So, like, you know, the price of prospects is going up because, like I said earlier, you have 10 fraternities to go to a year. So, you know, Jay's fraternity pays outstanding, Riata Buckle pays outstanding royal crown pays outstanding uh gold buckle fraternities which you know that's trigger's deal that's going to pay outstanding so if you're paying thirty thousand dollars for a prospect you actually have three years to make your money back on that horse before it even goes to the secondary market that's something and that i yeah. feel like that's the reason that the you know the price that's subjected to what you can win now it's not even a you know that's not I would say, like you know, paying thirty thousand for a prospect isn't even unrealistic because you can win that back in one event, and
0: you have ten to go to a year. Yes, and uh, and I think it all is just working together. Like like I kind of touched on earlier, but yes, now the because the thirty thousand dollar prospect, we know the breeding program, we know what they're like. You know, we know full brothers and full sisters or half brothers, and you you kind of got the you got a really good idea where you're going to be at. The trainer, you've got, hey, this trainer has done this. This is what they're doing. There's all of the availability going to be, it's just there, and it's going to get bigger and bigger. So I think that's well, that's the, the unique thing how, about this.
1: I think how cool is it, too, that, like, you can actually go sit and talk to a trainer that's campaigned that horse for two years and just be like, tell me about it. That's something that hasn't happened before. Like, you know, you've, you've been in the rope industry a long time like you've you've traded horses i've traded horses like half the time like you know you keep them for a year you get them going and you sell them now you're looking at like these people that take pride in this like um you know this horse and they can tell you everything about it when you go to buy it how nice is that
0: yeah i mean what is that worth and it's obviously worth a lot more to the buyer i mean it is to me I know that
1: it is to me for sure. I mean, anytime you can get, you know, an educated opinion from somebody that's, you know, spent an extreme amount of time with that animal, that's, that's the best thing in the world.
0: Yep. Well, man, what else do we need to add to this? This is pretty impressive. Um, obviously I think one of these days, we need to just go through bloodlines with you because your knowledge there is I would love to be educated, so maybe, maybe we I'm can such get a nerd like on bloodlines.
1: <laughs> I'm the biggest nerd yeah, on Bloodlines I, ever,
0: but I, you have to, right? And I think that's it's well, so important, and
1: uh, it's fun. Like it's really enjoyable to get into. Like, and I think it takes a special kind of person to get into that. But I don't know. I I actually it's funny because I got into it when. I worked for a registered Angus operation for a long time, for four years. And, uh, that was how I actually got into genetics. Like I paid attention to the bulls and cows, which makes a lot of sense. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, it's not, I want to ask you one question on that. Um, so I got to yeah, ask one question it. on this and, and I heard it from a horse trainer and I've, I i do not know where I landed on all of this, but I have thought about it a lot and uh i was looking a long time ago i was looking at buying a full full sister to uh a good head horse that i had and they had her priced extremely high and i was and she was really green but i was just considering paying it because of how good this head horse was and i talked to a guy and he said more money has been spent and wasted on full brothers and full sisters and and when he said that to me, I was like, I didn't expect to hear it. And then I, th- I got the, like, the more I thought about it, he's like, hey, look at it. He's like, I got two boys. One is clean. One is not. One can do this. One cannot. And they're just like totally opposite from each other. And then I look at it more yep. I'm like, well, they have a lot in common, too. So what do you think about that as far as like full brothers and full sisters and how to address them? Um, because I think there is those traps of, hey, this horse is a full brother to this does it mean you know like how do you try to find that balance between that uh, like and just what's your opinion on this i, I don't even know that i well, have an answer my, i just want to know what you think i actually this
1: is really funny because you know that that thing that jade posted years ago kind of makes its rounds all the time about full siblings right um i don't think it has anything to do with genetics i think it has to do with variables so if they're started the same way like anytime you can take variables out of the equation, you're getting a better product in the end. And the reason we've been so successful with our, you know, full siblings and our program is because we do everything the same. Like we don't do, you know, it's not a factory type situation. Like we adjust horse to horse, but we still, you know, when, and when you buy a horse from a program, you're buying the skill set that also comes with that program. And you take variables out of the equation. So that's why we never sold yearlings. Like we always sold riding two year olds because we had control of exactly the start of that product. And then once it went to somebody else, that, that became a different product. So, you know, like you were talking about your head horse, it's full sibling. Well, how can you guarantee that that horse was halter broke the same, started the same So, so on and so forth. And that's, that's my opinion is it's not necessarily the genetics, it's the variables. So I feel like if you buy a full sibling and it comes from the same program and it's all started the same, you're in a much better spot than buying a full sibling as a yearling or a weanling and then figuring out what happens in the long run. Does that make sense? What a great answer,
0: man. Hell yes, it does. Thank you.
1: It's the same, like, I mean, it's always variables, like the more variables you can control in that situation, the better. And I really do believe that's why, you know, we were, we were successful in the horse industry is because we did everything in house. I breed all of our mares. So we have literally had most of our mares since I've been breeding our mares for 12 years now, and then we've halter broke them. Like I said earlier, like, if the mare didn't cross well on this stud, we try him on this next stud. But we were able to control those variables along the way to know what kind of product we were going to have in the end. And a lot of the time, you know, the full siblings were not the same, even with the variables controlled. But being able to control those variables along the way, we could kind of see the things that were different and be able to place those with somebody that, you know, had those skill sets. And I, that's the biggest thing about horses is like, it's not, it's not a, it's not a machine in the long run. And it really does take, you know, their person to make that horse successful when it's all said and done. So being able to control those variables along the, along the way and be able to place that horse with somebody that's going to make that horse successful. And that horse is gonna make the person successful. I feel like is the most
0: beneficial thing with the horse thank you that's real knowledge right there i feel like that's uh that's i think it's so important but i i, I couldn't that's agree just, you. i think it's very well said
1: that's just uh years of years of being a uh, stall cleaner and halter breaker and horse breeders
0: <laughs> yeah that's that's a <laughs> lifetime of experience seeing it and uh and i think that's really important uh just, I mean, I mean, honestly, that's those are the things that make the difference. And like we discussed earlier, there's going to be some characteristics in there that that make the job we're asking them to do easier, right? Like there are certain characteristics in head horses that make stuff easier to make them a head horse. But I think that's oh. also why a program that's doing it right has been successful for so long, like you guys and. And then also that's, that's some of the, that's some of the secret sauce right there. You know what I mean? Well, and
1: like you were talking about Andy earlier too, like, that's why I'm so thankful that the fraternity thing is happening in the rope horse deal now is like, you're starting to see programs happen. So you're getting that, you know, back knowledge of like, okay, well I had this, this stud or this mare, I would like to breed that again. I would like a full sibling. And then you have those people that are controlling those variables along the way And can give you an educated opinion on what that horse is going to be in the long run that's that's really i think the most beneficial part of the fraternity industry is is making better horses but also being able to place them with the right roper it's something you've never seen before like it used to just be like okay like I, i saw that horse on facebook like yeah that might fit me like we'll go try it and you have one day to try three sears on it try four sears on it and you kind of make your decision based on those four steers you ran. You don't, you don't have to do that anymore. You get to talk to the trainer. You get to see their fraternity years. Like you get to, you got to make an educated decision at the end of the day. And I think that's the most beneficial thing about the fraternity deal.
0: Yep. And then you can start developing a feel that you like, uh, certain characteristics, and then you've got a pool of horses to choose from. And so you can start kind of going through this as opposed to like, hey, you got any? that, the old days of, hey, you got a horse for sale. Like they're kind of, those days might be um, leaving us behind. You know what I mean? You're going to be able to to start making phone calls on those horses that you've seen and know that will be aging out and can kind of fit into your, what, what you like. So, I, I, yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think the other cool side of that too is like, you know, you look at like, that's the cool thing about a rope horse, right? A rope horse is just a look in the long run. It's what what's going to make, especially as a head horse, like you want a fast-ass horse that'll get on its butt and handle cattle. Well, you also have, you know, husbands and wives, like, that have the barrel thing. Like, you can barrel race. Like, Jordan and Justin Brings are the prime example of this. Like, Justin showed Rolo at the American Rope Horse Charity Finals one year. I mean, you're looking at being able to like integrate all all of the all of the industries into one because nobody knows what's going to make the best rope horse it's all personal preference which is going to I feel like it's going to expand the gene pool too because you're going to start seeing like horses come out of the cow horse world crossed on barrel horses or you're going to see race horses crossed on cow horses it's, it's cool it's something you've never seen before
0: yeah yeah and i think that's like I said, I think the barrel racing is, is kind of ahead of us on this aspect because they have been with, you know, they're, you've seen what their fraternities have done, but I think that's, I think that's what we're, where we're going to be at is there's going to be a lot of, um, rodeo horses in general, the rodeo events, I think will all benefit from having a rope horse now and a barrel horse fraternity structure. And I think as we, we see that progress. There's going to just be more and more horses at every kind of every level out there. I think so.
1: And the, the, the beauty of it is, is there's ropers of every level. And so that's, that's kind of, what's cool is like, you know, the best, the best fraternity horse is going to be the best fraternity horse, but you also have, you know, the 30 down that were still seasoned correctly. They're going to fit a six and below. And that, I think that's, what's the coolest about it. And I would like yeah. to see those horses start getting a little bit more recognition because man, those horses are, you know, just as good as the ones that are winning it and maybe easier to ride.
0: Yeah. that That's going to be the one thing that I, I think time's going to tell them this is where these horses are going to go, who's going to be able to ride them. And, uh, and it seems like maybe some that might not show as great, but maybe just don't have the foot speed or like that that real fiery mentality um, and trying so hard. Those ones actually might end up making more like higher dollar, easier rope horses. And uh, and so there's there's going to be that spot for them. And I'm I'm curious to see where those horses uh, how they end up. Um, but it just might take until some of these horses get to 12 or 14, you know, b- before that kind of happens. I don't know. We'll, we'll see, but I think it's all good. And I, I, I'm pretty excited to, to see what you're doing. And, and man, honestly, it's it's exciting time to be in the team roping industry, isn't it? It really is, isn't it?
1: And like, yeah. it's crazy wow. because, you know, like everybody who was, you know, I don't know that we had a Mr. Sassy Frenchman just kind of like clean up, up there last week and it was awesome to see that kind of come to fruition. The Meredith that makes Colby level road, that
0: one?
1: Yep. And Dakota trained her. I I actually own her mom. Uh her mom was my good rope horses mom. So and then me and me and Jade are partnered on one out of my rope horses. So I don't know. It's it's funny because, like, you know, way back, like, when the fraternity things first started, like, I went to all my friends that had NFR mares, right? So Caesar would have been the... I took Annie Oakley to Bill and Deb's house, and I started dicking with this years ago before there was ever a market for it. But I made, I made this little Mr. Sassy Frenchman out of my good heel mare, head mare, and I sold him. Me and my wife had a place, and I sold him to remodel it and he ended up showing up in the pink buckle sale before the Riata buckle and Cork hill was there and I was like hey I said this I literally ra- bred this horse to be a hill horse period so we we, we bought him, and that's going to be our fun time next year <laughs> but
0: nice.
1: that would be a, that would actually be a three quarter sibling to that head horse that just did good up there okay
0: well man i appreciate you coming on i like i said i think we we just need to get face to face and do some more and dive into some bloodlines and let us use some of our video and stuff so we can kind of we can we can do maybe a deep dive one of these days because i think the amount of knowledge that you have would be fun to to kind of go into and just you what your experience has been as far as like the breeding side of it has been throughout your life so
1: Oh you should you should come to the house sometime. It'll be it's enjoyable. Let's do it.
0: I'm, I'm bringing the golf clubs anytime. too, just so you
1: know. Oh anytime. Practice. No. Okay. <laughs> I, I was I was I was sitting with Justin Johnson at the um Royal Crown and I have not got to rope since the Royal Crown in February. That's how oh, long wow. it's been. I went to a jackpot, me and Trish went to a jackpot there was like a benefit for the Hupp family whose uh, their house blew up on the 4th of July and I rode Gary's ranch horse and I won a fast time. That was the only time I've roped since February and I'm missing the hell out of it.
0: It's crazy, huh? How, when you get, you're like so closely involved in something, but how hard it is to actually work, work in the thing that maybe you love the most about it It gets, it gets kind of far away. It's, It's a price to pay that no one really understands, so they get doing it. That's what's so crazy about it, right, is when it gets you, it gets you. And I think this is what's so weird and unique about horses and the industry is, like, like you love it, but you hate it. it's like, it's such a hard way to make a living. And uh, there's so many, so many ups and downs, but it's it's like the reward. At the end of so amazing. And uh, there's times where it costs way too much money. And it does just sound better to sell all your horses and play golf. But, you know, like you, it would feel like you probably don't have any purpose if you did that. And that's, I think this is what's so special about roping. And, uh, and then what we get to do in it and, you know, same for you. I'm sure you feel it, but it's, it's a, it's a whole different animal. You, and you always got to ask yourself questions like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself through it? But it just seems to make you into a better person at the end of the day. And I don't know, man, I can't explain it, but, but shit, I, I love it. I don't know why, but I do. So I don't,
1: I, I mean, I've tried to get out a million times and I, and like, I just can't. Roping is my number one, number one favorite thing in the entire world. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And the people that are yeah, in it's it, crazy. They're, they're in it. It's so, fun,
0: man. I, I, I agree with you. If this fraternity well, thing uh, when
1: uh, took off, I'd still be in the breeding shed
0: doing my thing, but I love rope horses and I love roping. Right. Well, I'm excited, man. I'm excited, too. I think that you put the work in, and I think this is a great opportunity for you. So I'm excited to just come on and talk about it. So thanks again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Pace. I appreciate it, too.